coming to you from beyond the veil, where anything is possible and nothing is beyond your reach, where time and space are figments of your imagination and life is but a dream. Open your minds, open your hearts, and get ready for a one-way trip into the unknown. This is Messages from the Multiverse with Ian R. Anderson, Certified Hypnotherapist. Hello and welcome to Messages from the Multiverse. As I have said many times before, this show is about embracing the unknown and expanding our consciousness into realms which are little explored. This episode is going to explore one of the most enigmatic and mysterious phenomena that an earth human can experience. It is something along the lines of what your cat or dog or hamster experiences when you trick or coax it into its carrying crate, close the gate, lock them in, carry them briskly and in a very business-like manner to the car and drive them to a very cold, sterile, hard and bright environment where they will meet an unfamiliar person who will take control of them. They will receive shots, a full checkup, have a chip implanted in their neck in case they escape, and maybe even an anal gland cleansing here and there. Your pet has no idea that what it is experiencing, as traumatic as it might seem, is actually for its own good. We humans understand that, and out of love and the hope that our animal companions may have the best lives possible, we have to be tough and get the necessary jobs done. Our guest in this episode, Byron W. Lacey, has explained his story in similar terms in his book, Chosen, Chronicles of an Alien Abductee. We have invited him here to tell his story, a story of interactions with non-human, non-Earth-based intelligences which have visited him, abducted him, poked, prodded, and probed him for the last 61 years. But as you will hear, and as you will read in his book, this has all been done with positive intentions and a bigger picture type of goal in mind, one that aims to raise the vibration of consciousness here on Earth. And as Byron will explain, his interactions with them have left him transformed, transmuted, and even transmigrated. Let's get into this and hear what Byron has to say, because I have read his book and I am very much looking forward to asking him some questions. Byron W. Lacey was born in Burnett, Texas on March 21, 1950. He is a fourth-generation Texan and a fourth-generation abductee. His great-grandfather, George W. Lacey, came to Texas in the early 1850s. George and two of his businessmen partners donated the granite to build the current Texas state capitol. He also started a dog breed, which is now called the Blue Lacey and is the state dog of Texas. Byron W. Lacey was first visited by aliens when he was five years old, forever changing his life. He has lectured at the Houston UFO Network about how aliens saved his life and works to help other abductees cope with the phenomenon. Lacey, who holds degrees in English and art, has exhibited in galleries throughout the United States. He's worked as a summer camp director, English and art teacher, freelance artist, and an investigator for the Texas Child Protective Services. So let's go to our conversation with Byron W. Lacey, author of Chosen, Chronicles of an Alien Abductee, and let's hear his story. Okay, so we have Byron Lacey here to discuss his book, Chosen, Chronicles of an Alien Abductee. Hi, Byron. Thank you for being here with us today. Hi, Ian. 
So, um, you know, I, I have your book, and uh, your story is, is really fascinating. It's different from a lot of the stories that I've read, and it's similar in some ways, but also different in, in many other ways, in that you, um, you don't identify yourself as, a, as an abductee anymore, or even a, cont a contactee. You've actually evolved in your identity to um, finally seeing yourself as a volunteer. Can you describe what the difference is between a volunteer and an, and an abductee and contactee? Well, an abductee, it's someone that's abducted once or several times, but um, they sort of have a rough time of it, it seems, from what I've noticed in other people. A contactee is someone where you actually have contact with them, at least some, either in person or psychically. And I have had contact with them in person and psychically, but... Um, I saw a video of a woman on YouTube, and she was talking about being about volunteering to come here, and it really struck a chord with me. And so, some other things that happened, where a psychic had told me that my soul is not human, that uh, I was born here and I am a human, but that my soul is from another actually dimension and that I didn't die to come here. I'm still alive somewhere else also. That makes any sense? Okay. Well, yeah, and you know, I'll, here we, we talk about the multiverse, so parallel lives are something that, that we're, uh, we're okay with. So, yeah, go on. And I was sent here to do something, and from what I can tell and uh, is that I was sent here to write my book and to help other people who are in similar circumstances to myself and who are abducted or, ch or chosen or, um, or volunteered but are having a hard time of it. And I was told this by a psychic that lives in England that reads for David Icke. I can't remember her name right now. But anyway, she... I uh, had a reading from her over a year ago. I've had a couple, and she told me that I was an alien soul. I know I'm repeating myself. Well, I didn't believe her. I, th I thought she was way out there. But over the period of a year, everything, everything she told me had come true that was predictive. So after seeing that video thinking about the fact that she had a really good track record over that year i decided to meditate on this on this fact that perhaps i was an alien soul in a human body and i um i began to meditate on it and got very deeply into meditation and at one point suddenly after thinking about it from every possible angle i intellectually believed that that was the case and i emotionally believed that that was the case and at that point two fingers seemed it was like two fingers i don't know what it was seemed to push their way into the back of my skull right above my spine where my skull and my spine meet and pulled me out of my body and as i was leaving my body i could hear my ego sort of yelling at me wanting to come along but of course i wasn't even the one that was ejecting myself from my body so i just said you're not going to get to go 
and heard it fade away into the distance. At that point, I was very small and uh, I felt really great because once you shed your ego, you shed all of your problems. Mm -hmm. That's where all our problems are, uh, real or imaginary. And I was in this place that was, it was like it was black and airy, but everything in it was made out of lines of light. And there was a huge wall in front of me that seemed to go on up and down because there was no ground in both directions infinitely. And it had some kind of a geometric pattern on it made of light. And in front of this wall were sitting three beings that looked like humans or humanoid. And they were made out of light as well. And they were wearing robes. And one of them said to me, and I, when he did this, I felt he was talking for all three of them, like they were connected. Okay. And he said, we've been waiting for you to realize this. We're very proud of you. And then this information, which I don't know what it was, a ton of stuff just started pouring into my head. And it reminded me of the way it used to be when you'd have to dial up your computer on a phone. It would make all that screeching noise as it was exchanging information right and uh i think little bits of it have come to me over time now this was march 8th of last year and i was blasted by this wave this wind of love it was just everywhere where i was and it felt fantastic um then they started, I started being pulled back towards my body or pushed back towards my body. And as I was going, this thing that looked like a cookie cutter cutout of me, full size, flat, and like it was made out of fog, joined with me and went into my body. And then I woke up. I was completely wide awake. I felt great. I was very excited about the experience, and I was more than ever convinced that I was a volunteer instead of a contactee or an abductee. And um, I, I did do another reading with the psychic, and she told me that they had given me a part of my more developed self, which I believe we would probably call our higher self. Mm -hmm. um, because I would need it to do the things that I was going to do. And really, I was quite reclusive at the time. And for a long time, I didn't go out around people. Uh, I, had, I had sung in front of people for a while, and that had worked out good, but I hadn't done that in a year. So, well, all of a sudden, I got where I could talk to anybody. It, it didn't bother me to talk to people at all. And I became more psychic. I started, it, it wasn't anything important, but I would know something that was going to happen that day. And uh, so anyway, that's, that was the effect at this point so far that I can tell. So that, that cookie cutter self-image, is that what you feel was your the higher self portion that they gave back to you? Yes. Okay. 
So you've actually had then a direct communication, not just psychically, but actually face-to-face as well, even even if, it, uh, I guess, physical face-to-face and spiritual face-to-face that you actually have clear memories of. Of two times I have clear memories of face-to-face, physical, and then the one, the last one I talked about, which is my soul body. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I have very clear memories of that. I can see them in my mind right now. Do you notice a clear difference between the um, the spirit body face-to-face and the physical face-to-face? Or is it the same type of feeling that you get from the beings you're communicating with, or is it different? Well, the communication is the same. The main thing is when, it, when they have taken me out and left my ego behind, I just feel better. <laughs> I feel more complete. I have no insecurities, no, nothing like that. Uh, all that's gone. So, but I like the physical, uh, meeting them face to face changes me every time. I don't know if it did in 1955, but it did in 2009. But even the meeting in just my soul body changed me afterwards. Wow, that's an excellent story. It sounds really uh, kind of out of this world and exciting. I, I can't imagine what that must have been like for you. But you, you've actually had, like you said, experiences like this going all the way back to 1955 when you were only about five years old. Can can you uh, talk a little bit about that first experience and how it um, how it relates to pirates? Yes. Now, I have always remembered this experience, but I did not know what it was until 2009. And for some reason, even when I came in contact with alien information like saw uh, Whitley Strieber's movie, uh, it just didn't click. But anyway, um, it was we had just moved to Sigville from Anthony, which is near El Paso. My father worked at a federal prison there, and he transferred to Sigaville so we could be closer to his mother and our relatives in Marble Falls. Mom took me in, put me in the bed, tucked me in. I always hated being tucked in. I'd have to kick the covers off. But anyway, tucked me in, kissed me on the head, and walked out the door. And I turned around to lay down to go to sleep, and there were three little men standing at the foot of my bed. Uh, I was shocked. First. Where did they come from? I didn't know where they came from. I didn't know what they wanted. Um, I yelled for mom. She walked, she came back in and I told her what I'd seen. And she didn't say much and they were gone when she walked back in. So she left and I went to sleep. The next night, the exact same thing happened. Exactly the same way. The third night, and these were three nights in a row. Third night, it happened again. I called her into the room. Of course, they weren't there. She sat down on the bed and put her hand on top of my head, and she said, son, you're just going to have to deal with them yourself because every time you call me in here, they're going to be gone, and I don't want to hear any more about it. Well, I sort of felt abandoned at that point. Not too bad, but some. She walked out of the room and I turned around and there they were. I didn't get to go back to sleep at that point. They were there and this guy 
guy. This being, almost seven foot tall, was over to my left near the wall of the house, of the room. He looked like Captain Hook from a book I had of Peter Pan. He had a pirate's hat on. He had uh, a vest. He had a billowy shirt. I couldn't really see his legs very much. And that made me think that the little guys were pirates too because they had these big black eyes. And for some reason, being five, it didn't bother me that they had two patches instead of just one. So Captain Hook started dancing around the room and he had a really weird angular gait in the way he was moving his arms and stuff. It was like he wasn't like a human in a way. And I felt like I was confined, like I was tied down. I looked down at my wrists, and I wasn't tied, uh, but I couldn't move. And suddenly the, the room got bigger. The bed started rotating, and Captain Hook was dancing around the room. And I was just about to get really afraid when all of a sudden it was all gone. The room was the correct size. I could move. All of them were gone. I, uh, I pulled the covers over my head and went to sleep. And every night after that, even now, I sleep with my head covered. Now it's just a habit. It, it seems like these experiences from, from really early on, they, they uh, created a kind of uncertainty in a lot of different ways. It, it's something that comes through really clearly in your book, the uncertainty that you've dealt with throughout your life, not knowing... Uh, how you're going to feel in the morning when you wake up and what kind of marks are on you, whether you're going to have bruises or puncture marks and, and all that. And, you know, you mentioned your, your mission here to help other alien abductees to discover, you know, whether or not they were going through the same thing as you. Can you discuss a little bit about the range of evidence and signs that, that a person might be experiencing in alien abduction? Well... Uh, there's many things. First off, there's a round bruise that almost everybody gets. But if you don't get it, that doesn't mean anything if you get the other marks. And it's about the size of a quarter. I get them on my arms and my legs. They've actually been bruising me a lot lately, which sort of bothers me. But it doesn't hurt, so I'm okay. Uh, you can get punctures, and they can be... And a micropuncture, which looks like it was done with the tip of a sewing pin, sewing needle. And then you get a bigger puncture that is usually in groups of three, five, seven, or 21. But those are the groupings I've had before. And the 21 were on my wrist, and there were seven, seven, and seven. And they are bigger. They are the size of a large hypodermic needle. Also, sometimes I find a little needle hole in my scalp. You can also have missing time. There, before I knew what was going on, I'd be watching TV late at night, not real late, because I'd go to bed 10 or 11. I'd be watching TV, and suddenly it would be a different show, and it would be in the middle of it. When I had just basically started watching another show, and the one that was showing was something I would never choose to watch on purpose. Mm -hmm. So now that's missing time. And judging from 
I would watch half a show and then half of the next one they were 30 minute shows. That means basically there was 30 minutes missing at those points and I've had, I have um, had a different experience of missing time that was a lot longer, actually several. They're very confusing and very disorienting. Uh, you might even find yourself suddenly on a different road in your car or 15 or 20 or 30 miles down the road from where you were or even back from where you were. Uh, my friend Daryl Sims, the alien hunter, he has a um, he has a guy he works with sometimes that actually was moved to the next state. Jeez. So that would, six hours to get home. That would indicate then that you um, you're being taken not only while you're awake, but also while you're in the middle of doing something that would be considered um, a dangerous thing to interrupt. So are they? Do you, do you think they're taking you and your car, or are they only taking a part of you and leaving your ability to drive and, and everything kind of on autopilot? What do you think about that? I've had two experiences. They tell me that, well, actually three. In, in one of the experiences, I was going to Seagaville to see my parents. This was in about 1983 or 84 for Christmas. And I was approaching this little town, an intersection where I was going to have to turn. I was going 40 miles an hour, and I suddenly realized that I saw to the right that this young guy in a Ford Bronco or something like that, a big, anyway, a big truck that's like got the back covered, factory covered, and has two sets of seats instead of one, was going to hit me. He was coming in, and he apparently wasn't looking. He was going to hit me right in the side. I didn't know what to do. I... I threw on the brake and I slammed the wheel to the left. Well, what happened wasn't what I expected. I expected to get hit, but at an angle. The car stopped from 40 miles an hour to zero instantly. It didn't slow down, it just stopped. I was moving, then I wasn't. I should have been thrown through the windshield or at least into the steering wheel because my body should have been going 40 miles an hour even though the car stopped. That wasn't the case. I didn't even move forward at all. And then the the car that was in the incoming lane had stopped. They had seen what was going on. They had stopped and my car slid sideways into the other lane. Just, and it was a very smooth move too. It didn't leave any marks on the road that I could see from looking down before I left. And the guy that was coming in the truck, he stopped still pretty close to me. And then he backed up all the way across, he backed up across the road and all the way across this five or six row parking lot until the rear wheels of his car hit the concrete at the back and he stopped. The woman in front of me was sitting there with her mouth open. <laughs> and and I wish I had stopped and talked to him, but they they have some way of making you not 
ask questions about things. Right. And so I backed up a foot or so, got back into my lane, and went on to Seagoville. Now, I've thought about this a lot of times, and what makes sense to me is they picked up my car prior to this, and they set it down, but they didn't realize they were setting it down where I was going to get hit. Mm. And when they saw that, I think that's when they stopped my car and slid it to the side. But I, I could be wrong, <laughs> but it just makes total sense. Well, it, it seems that if they uh, if they have the ability to travel from one dimension to another or from one star system to another that canceling out inertia and allowing you to come to a complete stop without your body flying through the windshield would be probably pretty simple to them. Um, do you think that they're able to control time as well? Or, or at least to, to travel through time or, or manipulate time in some way? I have no proof, but I believe they can. I, I was sitting in a restaurant and a mark appeared on my, well, I was sitting in a restaurant, holding a menu, looked, glanced away towards something and looked back, and there was a mark on my hand that had not been there before. It just appeared instantly. I've seen marks appear on other people instantly. And I think, and I think I've read about this some too, but I do believe this is true. I think they can switch you into another dimension where time is different. Right. Like they could keep you for a second, but when they get you in this other place, it could be hours. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that and sounds. And then just slip you back. That sounds like something that um, I think is it Nick Sparks talks about. Maybe maybe that's not his name, but. Um, talks about being taken into uh, a place where, where time flows differently or, or even um, having a maybe like a, an artificial dimension created where time flows differently where you can be taken into because being being taken and then being put back in your car or into a restaurant only you know maybe a second after or, or the same instant that you were taken but finding marks on you that weren't there would seem to suggest that that they've had at least a a measure of time with you to be able to you know do whatever it is that they're doing to you now do do you experience any kind of pain from these marks or do, are they just physical and and, vis and visible do you feel them at all there's only been one time and i received a pretty nasty bruise worse than usual on the side of my calf and on the back of my calf about an inch below the skin it started hurting and it ached all day long but it was gone the next day that has only happened once that i can recall and it's um one of i've seen marks heal completely in six hours and are these bruises, or are they the like the puncture marks? Puncture. The one of the key things in 2009 that really cinched it for me, beside the bigger event, was that um, I woke up in the morning. I was sort of groggy. I got out of bed, went to the refrigerator, and pulled out a soft drink, and 
I grabbed it with my left hand, my right hand, I switched it to my left hand, and I was going to pop the ring, uh, and there was blood. There was enough blood to print a postage stamp on that can. And I thought, God, why didn't they wash these things before they put them in the container? And then I look at my palm, and there's a hole in my palm as if someone had taken a pencil and just jabbed the pencil lead into my hand didn't hurt well i tried to think did i hurt myself before i went to bed and the answer was no i hadn't gone anywhere to do that i went back into the bedroom after i washed my hand and the night before i had pulled everything out of my closet to organize it so the only way i could get in or out of my bed other than floating was to crawl in from the foot of the bed well, I pulled the covers down, and there should have been a trail of blood, and there wasn't. I left the room, and then I thought, look under the pillow, so I went back in there. I lifted the pillow up. There was blood on the bed, where when I lay on my right side, my hand rests underneath the pillow. And then there was blood on the other side of the pillow, on the underside of it, where I would lay on my right side and have my hand up touching the pillow. So this told me that it had happened while I was in bed. And, um, or it could have happened when I wasn't in bed, but I, w I didn't crawl in or out of the bed. That's really what it told me. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it, it and seems... It, it oh, healed in six hours. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that that doesn't seem like um, like a normal type of wound. Do you, do you think that they are um, taking care of you medically in some way, so that at least you're 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 able to recover from what they're doing to you quickly and and relatively free of trauma? Uh, well, I really don't know what they're doing. Um, I think that they block me from experiencing pain. Mm -hmm. I know they've blocked me from experiencing fear. Um, like in 2009, they did that when I met a mantis creature that wasn't disguised. Okay, so since you just mentioned fear, I'd like to talk a little bit about the the many different um, types of, of fears and phobias that, that you kind of discuss in your book. Um, you know, most people are afraid of the unknown, and for you in, in your situation, you're faced with the ultimate unknown every day. Can you talk a little bit about what that has meant for you in your life and, and what type of um, fears and, and um, thoughts about, you know, what, what your thoughts are about the unknown and what it means to, you know, have to have to deal with this type of uncertainty? Well, my, one of the main fears, I have a fear of traveling I really don't like to travel. I, have a, I actually have a fear of getting lost, even with the GPS. And that doesn't bother me as much as it used to, but it still can get bad. If I've got a support system waiting for me, then I do better now. Um, I'm claustrophobia, although I'm working to overcome that some. It, uh, you know, the whole thing, when, in 2009, I found out what was, that I was being abducted. Up until then, I thought it was spirit, God, uh, spirit, uh, spirit guides, guardian angels, angels, God. I didn't know what it was. 
And the, these were what everybody else thought it was as well. In 2009, I found out it was aliens. And um, I had an extremely, <laughs> extremely rough time right at first. I even thought in passing about killing myself just as a way to escape it. But then I went, nah, I'd be dead. I don't want to be dead. So I brushed that out of my mind. And I decided that there had to be some kind of a reciprocal relationship. I decided that if they're going to get stuff from me, I should get something. And that's when I started talking to them. And I started talking to them every day for about six days. And it was six to eight hours a day walking back and forth under the electric line behind my, that runs through my woods. And I asked them quite a few questions, but I finally boiled it down to saying, I want to know what you're doing to me. I said that over and over again. I did ask them if I was crazy, but I really needed them to tell me something so I would know I wasn't insane. Well, at the end of that six days, I played country music at the country kitchen, a little restaurant that used to be near my house. And this is the first time I've played in front of people uh, since I was in high school, and I only did it once then. And it seemed like a really good idea until I started singing. I got through the first song okay, and then the words just started disappearing before I could sing them, and I ended up making up more words to the songs than singing the real words. Well, about midway through the, the performance, I took a break, and this guy came out of the audience who's now a good friend of mine, and he told me he was a guitar player, and, and he is, he's a very good professional, he was a good professional guitar player. And he said to get my lyrics out of my guitar case, sit and look at him, don't look at the people, pretend I was in my living room. And uh, everything went really great. And the last song I sung, sang was Hey Mr. Spaceman by the Birds. <laughs> well, I went home and it was about 11 o'clock and I couldn't get to sleep. I have these CDs that are entrainment CDs with rhythms and random sounds that you can't memorize, right. where it will put you in a deep meditative state. Mm -hmm. So I had to try that, because I thought, at least I can meditate, maybe I'll fall asleep. Well, I laid there listening to that, got into a very deep meditative state, and then for some reason, I opened my eyes. I didn't know there was a reason, but there was. And I wasn't in my bed. I was in a hammock that is instead of end to end to the ceiling. <clears throat> and it wasn't in my room. There were three blankets in the uh, hammock, maybe more. I looked at the material the hammock was made out of, and it seemed to be either like parchment or leather. But as I looked at it, I determined it wasn't leather, and that, for some reason, made me happy. <laughs> then I decided to crawl out of the hammock and look around. So I grabbed hold of the two upper edges and pulled myself out. And uh, the room was real foggy, which was strange. Then at one point I touched my face, and I realized I didn't have my glasses on. And there was a light in the room from above, but I couldn't tell where it was coming from. It was like it was just coming out of the air. 
I, I looked around and there were two more two more hammocks in there, but I could see that there wasn't anybody in them. And suddenly I heard footsteps in outside the door. There was an open door to that room. And I thought, I am not ready to see aliens tonight. I am really not ready. And then it was like a, a dip to black in a movie and then back. Only I was on a metal table and there were three grays standing down at the foot of the bed, the table, just like when I was little. And there was this six or seven foot tall creature who didn't look like Captain Hook at all. Um, and he was wearing a robe. He had a very large uh, oval head, oval from side to side with two big eyes on the sides. And he looked a lot like an insect wearing a robe. Well, I started to panic. And he says, do not be afraid. He said that in my mind. He didn't speak. But I heard it very clearly. And I realized also that I had heard his voice before on at least two occasions. I wasn't afraid. It was just gone. He had he had controlled my automatic nervous system mm -hmm. and maybe my other nervous system at the same time. All of them, both of them. Um, then it got weirder. <laughs> it was pretty weird anyway. But then I was laying in my bed and I was watching myself in the room. And the picture changed to black and white. It panned in on me alone and you could see me from my neck down to my knees and it was x-ray uh, i so wished that they had not zoomed in on me because i couldn't see them i would have been able to see what was inside of them all three all four of them huh. now daryl daryl sims has told me that they can actually see an x-ray and they can make us see through their eyes so and then they did the anal probe. They put it up into my body, and then I was wide awake in my bed. They were gone. I was wide awake in my bed. Um, I was extremely excited and happy because I had been on an alien ship. I had seen them. I knew I wasn't crazy. I knew they existed. I knew it was all real, just like I thought, like lots of other people think. And then I turned over and went to sleep which is weird because I have insomnia. <clears throat> uh, it always takes me hours to go to sleep, but this time, turned over and went to sleep. Next morning, I woke up, uh, and once again, I got elated about what had happened. I was thrilled, and I, I grabbed a piece of paper off of the desk next to my bed, and I drew a rough picture of that guy in the, in the cape, because I thought, I'll show this to my friend Frank, who's he knows all about UFOs and aliens and stuff. He's been researching them for years. And he'll tell me whether this is real or not. And it probably will mean I was just dreaming because it won't be real. It's just too weird looking. I put the pencil down and I started crying. And I don't know why. There were no words driving my tears. I cried. I felt like something that had been locked in me was leaving me that this experience had somehow freed up something, um, fear, I don't know what, but it was leaving. And I cried for about 30 to 45 minutes, and then it turned off. 
and I was okay. Well, later that day, I went to see Frank, and I took the picture with him. I told him about the experience, and he listened very carefully. And then I said, now, this is the guy that was standing there, and I handed him the picture. He looks at it, turns around to his computer, and and I said, you know, I don't think he's real or that that really exists. And it was probably all a dream. He types in a web page, and he pulls up a picture just like the one I had drawn, drawn by a child who had been abducted by the mantis creature, and that's what they were called. So it didn't prove that it was a dream. It proved that it was real because someone else had had the experience. In fact, there's lots of pictures on the Internet of them. Yeah, and another uh, experience that, that you've had that is similar to a lot of experiences that abductee children have is that that download that you mentioned, that download of a large amount of information. Children have, have called them uh, things like knowledge bombs going off in their mind. Can you describe a little bit what that's like? Well, one day I had one, and uh, it, it's just, well, it's like flipping through a book super fast, only it's all going into your head. And I saw pictures, and I heard words, and maybe I read words, I don't know, but I don't think I was actually reading. And it was just, once again, it was like trying to dial up a computer on a phone. It was just screeching through my head. <clears throat> and when it was all over, which was about one or two seconds, and I swear there'd have been enough stuff in there to fill one books of World Book Encyclopedia, maybe more. The, there was a message that w encompassed everything I had seen because it had all been about finances. And the message was the interest you pay on loans, the interest on loans are the chains of your slavery. And, and it meant that all of humanity, not just me. Mm -hmm. So for the next year, I worked very hard and got out of debt, and I haven't been back. Wow. Okay. So you know, with all these interactions that you have going on with these different beings that seem to be um, from different sources or different places, different dimensions, I, I don't know, maybe you have a better insight on which ones are actually related and which ones are, are separate races, uh, but altogether, what do you think is the, the ultimate agenda and goal for their interaction with the planet Earth and and the Earth humans? Well, I think there's a lot of different groups, and there could be different, and there are probably different agendas. The ones I come from they are concerned with um, raising the level of being of people and of the earth because I believe we're getting ready to go through some changes within the next 20 years. Um, so they sent people here, not just me, but the star seed. They, they sent people from other planets, other dimensions here that were already pretty much enlightened, but they had to shed all of that and come here and work for enlightenment. But it's so complicated. <laughs> and uh, there's a movie called The Day the Earth Stood Still with Kenny Reeves. Uh -huh. Have you seen that movie? Um, not that one. I think there's an older version that I've seen. Yes. In in the new one, 
he goes to this restaurant with an appointed meeting of this Asian man. And the Asian man, now, Kinu came here in a spaceship. This Asian man had been born here, and he talked about that it, he was that it was has been the hardest assignment that he ever volunteered for. So he was born here, and he was here strictly to live, to be a person, to be human, so that he would see things from a human point of view and to observe, and if it was ever needed, to report what he had seen. Okay, so is that why is that why the those who incarnate here are incarnating without the memory of who they truly are, so that they can actually have a, a real human experience? Yes, I believe so, and I also think that the birth experience knocks some of your memory out of you. Mm. Yeah, that's a big trauma right. to start with. Yeah, that makes sense. So out of all the different races of beings that you've interacted with, what would you say are the, um, the most positive and the, and the ones that seem to have a completely different or a less positive agenda in mind? Well, the, um, the light people, the ones that I saw on the 8th of March last year, they, were, they seem very positive, and they're probably the ones that have saved my life over and over again. They are the ones that are concerned for me. They are the ones that have told me pretty much to watch out that I was going to have a car accident or things like that. I think the Greys, they work for pretty much all the different races. Uh, so, and I don't get any kind of emotional feeling from them at all, good or bad. They just are, and they just do what they're told. The Mantis, I've only had positive experiences with the Mantis, and he seems to be extremely intelligent, and he has no self-doubt, no hang-ups. It's like none of them have egos the way we do. I almost think egos were put in us to somehow pull us down. <laughs> and keep us from achieving everything that we could achieve. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Now, I've had reptilians in my house twice, I know, because of the smell. And uh, one of the times, my cat, I had a cat at that time, she wouldn't come in the house to eat for three days. And the next day, I didn't smell anything. It smells a lot like um, wet brown cardboard or wet brown paper bags or a dead rat. They, those all smell fairly similar. I think it's because they use sulfur in manufacturing uh, wood pulp paper, but I'm not sure. It didn't really smell like sulfur, but it smelled rank. So I don't think they're up to any good. <laughs> yeah, and, and you, you mentioned the ego a few times. The The ego seems to be something that we kind of picked up when we when we fell out of our earlier um, state of connection with nature, when we descended into this materialistic type of um, existence that we're in now, what was it like to leave your ego behind? Because I, I've experienced the, um, the dissolution of my ego before too. And it doesn't, um, it's, it's really kind of a, a liberating thing, and it and it changes who you are. Even when your ego returns, you return as a you come back as a different person, a, a better person. Can you describe how you felt when you actually came back and and you had your ego back? 
Well, <clears throat> one, it, it is a wonderful feeling <laughs> because all that negativity, all that psychological baggage is gone. Yeah. Um, and in, in my opinion, the ego is a physical structure in the brain, in the frontal lobe, and I've seen it. And it is completely programmed. Every idea, every opinion, everything in your ego was given to you by the media, your parents, your teachers, your friends, everybody. It's not original, and it's circuits. Well, to get rid of that is really liberating. But when I came back, and I, I thought about this, and I believe that all the good stuff that's happened, like suddenly I could eat broccoli and things that I had never liked, that I'd hated since I was a child. I could listen to all kinds of music. It, it didn't matter. I wasn't focused on the music of my youth or any of that kind of stuff. And uh, so I could, and I could enjoy different kinds of art that I had at one time. Oh, we're not all that great, mm. but I could see value in anything anyone had done. Um, I just liked it. So somehow, by drop, uh, the, your likes and your dislikes are small eyes, voices that say uh, in your ego. So somehow, by being separated from your ego, for me, it broadened my ability to perceive. Okay, so it, it expanded your consciousness then. Yes. Yeah, I, I had somebody in my office yesterday. I, I think you know that I'm a, I'm a hypnotherapist. I know you've experienced hypnosis and, and hypnotic regression before. Um, you know, I, I had somebody in my office yesterday, and we were talking about ego death and rebirth. And one thing that, that I was telling him was that ego death is something that we have to experience over and over again because every time it's over we end up getting our ego back and that it's right. uh, it, re removing it completely is not something that I'm aware of um, anybody achieving and and still being here in their physical body so you know the the goal is that every time we experience ego dissolution that we want to come back into our ego as better, more expansive people so that it's easier to do it the next time. Now, um, you know, th with that expansion of consciousness being part of the experience and it also being part of the agenda of these alien beings that you're interacting with, is it something that you are able to learn how to do um, consciously on purpose and have have you um, come to any understanding of ways that that might be able to facilitate that yes I uh, I can do it at first I, I could do it for a few moments and then I got where I could do it longer and longer and sometimes I can do it for an hour and my consciousness actually moves more into my left and right lobes uh, and thought is very interesting at that point you, I could think an entire paragraph in the time it takes to say one word. It's like the whole thought just flows in and then flows out if you don't hold on to it. And the way I've found to overcome the ego or to get away from it is to really pay attention to what you're looking at or what you're listening to. When I listened to a song, I used to sing the song in my head, and I would find after a while that I was listening to what I was singing in my head more than I was to what was playing on the record player mm. or the CD player.
And so I got where I let go of playing song. It takes a lot of effort. Sometimes my solar plexus will feel extremely hard, and I can feel that um, the concentration is coming from my solar plexus. So when you do that, you'll become conscious. You, you're not identifying with the song, um, and you'll wake up. And when I say wake up, I don't mean you'll open your eyes. I mean suddenly you won't be in your ego anymore. That is the way, and you'll do it for little bouts of time. And I've noticed that when I do it, my inner voice shuts down, and my breathing becomes natural and deep. Okay, so it, it sounds like what you're saying, if I can try and um, put it in, in my own words, that that mindfulness is the key to ego detachment. Is that what you're saying? Being mindful of the richness of the experiences that we're having? Yes. Okay. Because from the age of five or six, the ego starts talking and it starts calling itself I. And we think that we're I. We identify uh, the true us, our soul, is passive. And it just lets the ego say, ah, and it believes it, and it starts identifying with it, and it identifies with movies, with songs, with people, all kinds of things. Um, that's why in uh, Eastern religion there's such a emphasis on learning not to identify. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Terrence McKenna, but he, he was... Um, you know, one one of the one of the great psychedelic philosophers of our time, he put the creation or the the beginning of of the presence of the ego in hum, in human experience at about six to eight thousand years ago. Therefore, right around the beginning of civilization, which would seem to indicate that the the ego was introduced into our experience right about the time when we started to put up walls between us and each other between us and the natural world between us and our surroundings and those walls are literal walls whereas we also have uh, figurative or metaphorical boundaries that we put up between ourselves and other people as well so um, do, you, do you see a relationship between the ego and the type of civilization that we live in today? Oh yeah, in fact our civilization now is it's made to keep us asleep it's made to keep us in the ego. I think a lot of things in the Bible are metaphorical. And I think that the fall from uh, Eden is the ego. I think that that's when we had the ego. And I think it was put in to us by someone or something, plus circumstance. But I think it was put into us to, to keep us asleep keep us from seeing what's going on we're sort of hypnotized yeah yeah i think so too and and that's that's um part of the the main question that i that i wanted to discuss with you today which was why do you think it is that that we here on earth and and why our planet is the one that is the center of focus for this raise in consciousness? Why is it that we need to have our consciousness raised? Why is it that we're in this position in the first place, do you think? I think that, well, I'll just tell you what I think. Now, there's no proof for me. There's no proof. I have read things about this, and it's made 
complete sense, I think we're going to move into the age of Aquarius, that it's finally beginning now. And that's what, why this, everything's just sort of turned upside down. You know how uh, it's like the death throes of the old order. And hopefully whatever has been suppressing this planet doesn't get to stop it. And, but because of this, our planet is going to have a higher, see, I think the planet is alive. Uh, our planet is going to have a higher level of consciousness. Than, and so we will also have to have a higher level of consciousness to live here. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think, you're, I think you're definitely right about that. The changes that we're experiencing now have been kind of building to a point where at some point people are going to have to decide what you know i guess you could say what side they're on whether they're um whether they're interested in becoming more conscious or interested in in just kind of burying their heads in the sand um you know and and that type of that type of um decision is not something that that we make lightly but it's difficult for people to make a clear decision when the information that they have uh, to base their decisions on is coming from the type of media that we have in our culture, uh, where the information is bad and full of lies and, and really not clear and meant to and, and uh, you know, really created to keep us in the state of denial that we're in. What do you think about um, what we can do specifically with the younger generations to help them to uh, turn away from that negative um, controlling type of information and instead empower themselves and become free thinkers in their own right? I, I talk to a lot of young people. I have a lot of friends that are in their 20s, and I've told almost all of them. Most of them are waiters and waitresses because I like to eat out. That's part of my social life, but I've told them I've given them copies of my books. They're all really open to it, and they all pretty much believe that already. Now, there are those who don't, but um, they've grown up with these stories on the internet because they're very computer savvy. They've grown up with all this stuff being spoken about for the last 10 years. So once they hit 10 years old, pretty much, they started learning about this. And they, the ones I've talked to believe in aliens. Uh, they think they're real. The proof they've seen, the pictures, of ships over Mexico and different places. Mm -hmm. And some of them are experiencers themselves. I really, everybody complains about the millennials. I love them. I think they're a great group and I relate to them more than to my own generation or even the ones just before me uh, because I know the, the, the way it is, we're slaves. Right. They want to, they, everybody's complaining about raising minimum wage. You can't live on $8 an hour. No. No, and, and, and what, what makes a better slave than a slave that doesn't realize they're a slave? Exactly. And, yeah, they, well, they set the slaves free, but they still live in, and shop at the, at the company store. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we have some help through this it seems um you know we're not we're not on our own we're not just kind of wandering blind through the through the forest at least we have some sort of guidance you know wh whether they 
they show themselves in their true form or not, I, I think really is not as important as the fact that they are as powerful as they are and they are, are here with good intentions. You know, sometimes the, the path to the, um, the ultimate goal is, is not always pleasurable and, and not always, uh, you know, super enjoyable, but the end is at least looking like it's going to uh, be more positive than, than it is now, even if things get worse before they get better. What do you think about that? Well, I think that's true. About 30% of the population could easily live in the dark ages with no problem from what I've seen. And uh, so we need changes. I've also, this came to me the other day, and I don't know if I've heard it before or not, but now where I'm from is in another dimension, but we live right where the earth is. We're just in a different dimension, so they don't touch or anything. That's one way that they can get in and out so quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt that when we set off those nuclear bombs, we affected, the radiation actually affected the other dimension in a negative way. Right. And yeah. so they don't want that to happen again. Right. I've, I have heard that, um, that when we do nuclear fission, it creates a rift in the actual fabric of space-time, different from what happens when you perform nuclear fusion. Bringing matter together doesn't create the type of destruction that, that tearing matter apart does. Do you think that's right? That makes sense. Yeah. Yes, I do. That makes total sense. Okay, so since they're, and since they're your, your people and they're, they're on the other side of this, this, I guess, barrier or veil that, that we're here and, and they're on the other side there, um, them being so close, the, are, are they are they able to interact in any way from where they are, or do they have to come here in order to interact with us? I'm pretty sure when they talk to me psychically, it's from where they are. Okay. But when they physically come here, they're using their technology to do that. Is that right? Not not their their spirit or their mind. That's that it seems like when they're using their spirit or their their mental power of their consciousness they're bringing you there but when they come here in their ships they're doing it physically right correct and and some of them are from different planets that are in our dimension okay so you know not not go, just my people okay so what would you um if, if you had to give a name to your people what would that be how, how would you describe that um light beings okay that, that's it, all I can think of. I, I don't have a name. Does it seem to be they, a, a less dense type of physical structure there? Yes, it, and it looks a lot like an LCD screen, a liquid crystal display. Uh -huh. And in some ways it's flat, but at the same time it has depth and width and breadth. Right, yeah, maybe the... Um, maybe the the difference in the in the dimension that you're seeing could be because you're coming from a three-dimensional perspective into a higher dimensional perspective and maybe there's a translation that goes on there that that causes it to seem flat when if you are seeing it from your your alternate point of view it may seem to be more of a of a depth fully structured type of reality um now the beings that are coming here physically 
you've mentioned the grays and the reptilians, um, and, and you said that the grays seem to work for everyone. Are they, are the grays actually living beings or are they, as some people have suggested, uh, kind of biological robots in, in some way? What do you think? I think they are biological robots. I'm not sure, but everything I've heard, it just makes sense. So they're, are, they, are they hired, or do you think they're just created by anyone who has the technology to do so? I think they're hired. I think they are from Zeta Reticulon or originated there, but uh, maybe they augmented them, themselves. Of course, you know, they may be wearing, they may not be gray. Um, I remember in Fire in the Sky, the gray parts of them and the big eyes, those are suits. Right, and yeah, I, I have I do, heard that. I, and Daryl Sims had someone that ripped one of those eyes off, and it was a machine. Huh. It was mechanical, or not mechanical, but electrical. And so that would give them all their abilities, but they could be living creatures inside of those suits. So I don't know if they're robots or not, or androids, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, yeah, and um, and you mentioned David Icke in one of his videos, the reptilian agenda. Um, Credo Mutua talks about their um, their outer skin covering um, being so, a sort of artifact, and that underneath they kind of look like a like the kind of like a fish type flesh, like a a really light pink, almost like salmon type of coloring to them. And, um, yeah, and, and it seems that, uh, from, from what I've heard, the many people from their different points of views, um, talking about what these beings are is that they, they seem to be wearing something that has their technology embedded in it. And from what I've heard, their, their suits are kind of grown around their bodies, with the tech, the, the, with their technology embedded in it. Now, being a hypnotherapist and seeing what they're able to do with people's minds, um, I, I have to be kind of envious. Yeah, you know, if I if I had the power to to do what they do uh, with hypnosis, I'd be able to to really do some amazing things for the people that I that I help every day. Um, can Can you yes. talk a little bit about the screen images that that they project when you uh, have your experiences with them? Um, well, first in 1955, I was looking at a manus, but I saw a Captain Cook. In uh, 2000, I was at a party out. I don't, this guy owned, owned 100 acres, and part of it was cleared where his house was. And me, I decided to wander away from everybody out in the woods. So, and I suspect I had missing time, but I'm not sure. I. Um, I get out into the woods, walking around, and I hear footsteps or something. Something moving sort of startles me, but instead of being intelligent and going back where the group was, I went to look for it. And there were these two birds, and they were about a foot and a half tall, mostly leg, and they were this big, shocking, round ball of these brown feathers. They had a long beak that sort of curled down, if I remember right, curved down, and they were walking around. And then I don't know how they left, but they were gone, and I came back, went back to where all the people were. Well, in 2009, when I discovered that I was an abductee, 
I started looking for things on the internet. And I was talking about it, I was talking with an abductee the other day, and he said that somehow he finds information that's pertinent to him that he's not even looking for. Like, I was searching for something, but it had nothing to do with birds. And there in front of me in all the pictures on the screen were those two birds. So I clicked on it, and it turned out they are a, um, a species of kiwi only in New Zealand, and I think they call it a brown kiwi or something like that. I'm not sure. But it had not been discovered until, like, 2012. They had not known this particular species existed. So not only did I see a bird that should have been on another continent, I saw a bird that nobody even knows exists, which is one of the reasons I'm pretty sure they can see our future. They knew I would find this years later. Another one was a ship that looked like a car. I was driving home. This was in the early 80s. I was driving home. I had gone to town and rented a video, and my wife had stayed home. It may have been in the late 90s. And um, I looked behind me, and there's this big, green, old Plymouth, rusty hood. I, I, I actually got afraid, and I'm going... Why am I afraid of a car? This doesn't make any sense. And I just keep looking at it, and I look at the road, and I look back, and suddenly it's about 10, 15 feet from me. It stops, raises up onto its back bumper, and I'm, I'm looking at the underside of the car. And then it swings to the right. It pivots where it is now the the. It is parallel to the road, to the side of the road, and it falls up. Well, it didn't fall. It lays over onto its top. I hit the gas, <laughs> and I hurried home as quick as I could, And which was odd because I'm going, you should have stopped to see if they're all right, but I didn't care. I uh, got home. First, my wife goes, why are you late? You were supposed to just go get a movie. I said, I, I didn't know I was late. And I said, but it doesn't matter. Listen, I told her what had happened. And she said, well, why didn't you stop to see if they were okay? I said, oh, I just didn't. She said, go check on them. And they lived three minutes from my house. So I got in the car and drove back, and there was nothing there except... And there was no glass, there was no scarring in the grass, uh, but these little grove of pine trees that were about 15, 18 feet tall were all bowed over about six foot from the ground. They were all perfectly bowed over, and I think they stayed that way until they were cut down. Huh. Well, it takes 14 minutes to get from town to my house or to that spot, if you were to leave immediately, they would have had to walk three mi two miles, get a phone from a store near there, call a wrecker, the wrecker come out and get them, or call a friend with a tractor. But they're still, if they'd used a tractor to pull that car over, or a wrecker, there would have been scars all over the ground. Oh, yeah, there's would have nothing. left glass and stuff all over the ground. <laughs> yeah. So 
I didn't know what it was at that time. In 2009, I figured out it was a spaceship, a UFO, except they were making me see a car. Another time, I was out fishing, and I like airplanes, and I like the, the blue angels, but I thought that was an Air Force plane. It's a Navy plane. Well, I was out fishing at a nearby pond, and I hear this roaring engine, and I look up above the clouds, and this blue angel, all by itself, comes zooming in right above the treetop. So he's about 50 feet above the ground, and he gets in front of me, and somehow, I mean, his engine and everything, I can tell he's still going really fast, but what I'm looking at is moving in slow motion, and he turns, and he's got this big visor on his helmet, and he looks down at me. I can see the markings on the plane. The funny thing was the plane had an Air Force emblem on it, and I could read the numbers on it and everything, although I don't remember what they were. And it left, and it was, and suddenly it was just gone. So they had pulled this memory out of my mind, and apparently they either didn't know it was a Navy plane or they didn't care, and since I thought it was, they made it an Air Force plane, since I thought it was an Air Force plane. Right, okay. So, so these, that was a screen memory. These screen images and screen memories are actually then being filtered through your consciousness and being projected from your expectations and your memories. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Except for the Kiwis, they were... They were they were done in the same way, but they weren't from my memory because I couldn't remember something that I didn't even know existed. Well, they, they weren't from your memory in the time that you were seeing the screen, screen image, but maybe they were projecting something from your memory from the future. Future, yes. Huh. That's entirely possible because they're the masters of our perceptions. They yeah. can do pretty much whatever they want to do. Yeah, it seems so. That's uh, it's really fascinating. Um, you know, we're, we're almost out of time, so I'd like to just ask you a, a couple more things. I, I'd like to know what you think has been the most important experience that you've had in your life so far with all of this going on. Well, having my life saved eight times was very important. Um, in fact, that's how I was able to, to accept it all. I realized I wouldn't be here if it weren't for them. But the meeting with them in the other dimension on March 8th of last year, that, that, was, that was the pinnacle for me. Okay, the, the one where you were taken into that dimension and you met the light beings? Yes, and where they put me back with part of my higher self with me. Right, okay. Well, when they... Go ahead. One other thing, when they sent me, they sent me to the light... In 1999, I believe it was, and I didn't know it was them, but um, that made me feel a lot more comfortable about death after that. I didn't go into it, but I went to it and saw it. All right. Well, you know, the one of the main reasons why I'm, I'm doing this show and why I, I asked you to come on for this episode is because... I think that, and you mentioned this in your book as well, but I think it's time to move beyond the question of belief and the question of whether or not um, we believe that these things are real and whether or not we believe that extraterrestrial and non-human intelligence is real. Um, I think it's time to admit 
that we know it is, that there's no other possibility really after all the experiences that people have had, the millions and millions of people who claim to have abduction memories or experiences. And for me, in, in my case, I don't, I don't know if I've ever been abducted, but I have many experiences of seeing ships in the sky. And, and in one case, I saw one that was the size of a skyscraper that was only a couple hundred feet above the ground, totally silent. Um, it had to have been as long as a couple, at least two football fields that was totally smooth, no markings at all, um, like a big, wow. long metallic cigar. And seeing mm -hmm. something like that, it breaks through any possible denial that, that you may have up to that point. And at some point, we have to just kind of say, okay, I admit it's real and belief is not really an issue anymore. So, you know, moving, moving beyond, moving from belief into knowledge, um, what do you think about the, the people who are waiting for government disclosure? Do you think that it's time to just admit that, that, this is real and that we don't really need the governments to um, admit to it and because I really don't think they're going to anytime soon anyway. But, you know, once, we, once we're able to move beyond that, is it possible for us as the human race on this planet to form a conscious interaction, a conscious relationship with these beings so that we can start to um, purposefully guide ourselves into the higher level of consciousness instead of just doing it so chaotically and haphazardly and kind of just hoping that we bump into it. Yes. Well, you know, we've had several presidents that have, like Ronald Reagan said he saw a UFO. He followed it in his airplane. He started the Star Wars plans. And when everybody found out that those rockets, missiles were going to face out into space, nobody knew what was going on with that. Uh -huh. uh, and he seemed... A little bit insane to everybody, of course, but uh, and it didn't happen. We've had another president, I believe Jimmy Carter. I'm not positive, but anyway, there's been another president that has seen a UFO. And most of the reports come from airplane pilots, military generals, and higher-ranking military have reported it, yeah. Air Force pilots, police. EMT, why are we letting these people have such important roles if we think they're insane? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. These people are not insane. They're reporting what they've seen. Yeah, I think it's it's more insane to deny reality when it's right in front of our faces. Yes, and the powers that be don't want us to have free energy. And right. that's what we're going to end up getting from these ships and other things. I'm sure it already exists on this planet, but we don't have access to it. They, You know, if you're really higher upper class, you have to have a lower class to be upper class. Right. <laughs> to yeah. be privileged, you have to have the unprivileged. Good point. Yeah, that that uh, that issue about the free energy is a point that I made in in episode five of the podcast and uh, the episode about UFOs and, and and angelic light ships. That's something that that the like you said the powers that be really don't want to release um, the technology of of how to do it or even the possibility that it that it can be done. Um, but it really seems that if if it's not done, if it's not achieved, and that, that technology is not released, um, everybody is going to suffer, regardless of whether you're lower class or upper class. What do you think about that? 
Well, it depends on how good their ivory towers are, but we're all suffering now. Yeah. They've had this stuff since the 40s, or maybe even before that. They squelched Tesla, who was going to give everyone free energy. Um, I think it was J.P. Morgan that did that. Yeah. I can't remember. You know, mm-hmm. they they do everything to hold on to what they've got, even though it would be a utopia for everyone. Yeah. Okay. Well, what what do you think then is? Um, well, maybe I should put it this way. Um, what is your most important message to the world then after everything that you've experienced everything that you know um if i were to just say this is your chance to say whatever you want to say to the world uh, what would you say well open your eyes you've got to understand they're here even the pope one of the popes in 2009 said that it was all right to believe in aliens, that they exist, and that they do not have original sin, so they don't have to be saved. Uh, All these important people have said it. So go outside and sit and look at night. You'll find something. Yeah, and that's true. If you look at the sky long enough, you will see something. That's definitely true. I've experienced that personally, and and it really doesn't take that long. Once your eyes have adjusted to the darkness, You'll start to see things up in the sky that are that are moving in ways that our airplanes are not capable of moving. Right. <laughs> yes, when you're looking at a star and it suddenly shoots out into space, uh, it's not a shooting star because they fall to Earth. Yeah, yeah, and I've I've and then, seen um I've seen them go from the sky into the ocean and from the ocean into the sky, and they don't go in both directions. Shooting stars don't at least. And, no, and I've seen them. Uh, 50 foot away from me. Most people that have seen a UFO up close have been abducted at least once. Okay, well, I guess uh, I guess that's something I need to consider then because I've seen one up close and uh, mm-hmm. it, was, it was something I'll definitely never forget. But, um, you know, another thing I'll, I'll never forget is this conversation. So I want to thank you for coming on and doing this show with me. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate your your openness, your honesty, and your your willingness to come on and and do it in your own identity. I want to congratulate you on your book, Chosen Chronicles of an Alien Abductee, and I want to uh, give you the opportunity to tell everyone how they can find it. Is it it on Amazon? Yes, it's on Amazon.com. It's it's actually in several different bookstores, but that's the main one, Uh, and they have it electronically as well, and that's the only place, I believe, that has it electronically. Barnes & Noble says the paperback version. Okay, so it can be found on paperback and Kindle, then. Is that what you're saying? Yes, sir. And the easiest way is just to look up my name, Byron Lacey. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate you taking the time coming on and doing the show. Um, if anything changes, if you have any um, new experiences that you want to come on and, and talk about, there's an open invitation. Just uh, let me know, and I'm, I'm open to having you on anytime you have something new to talk about. All right. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed talking with you. Okay. Thanks, Byron. Well, there you have it, everybody. Now you know some of the signs, and if you're experiencing some of those marks waking up in the morning, not knowing where you've been or what's been done to you, you might consider some of the things that Byron just talked about. I want to thank you all for joining us here and supporting the show. If you think you or someone you know would make a great guest for Messages from the Multiverse, 
please contact us at messagesfromthemultiverse at gmail.com. If you wish to contact me directly regarding my hypnotherapy or shamanic practice, educational presentations and workshops, or speaking engagements, you can email me at ian at hypnotropia.com. That's I-A-N at H-Y-P-N-O-T-R-O-P-I-A dot com. You can also learn more about me, this podcast, and Hypnotropia by visiting the website www.hypnotropia.com. Messages from the Multiverse is available for subscription on iTunes and Apple's iOS podcast app on your mobile devices and can also be found at soundcloud.com or on the SoundCloud app for your smartphone or tablet. Also at hypnotropia.com and is coming soon to the Google Play Store. Until next time, honor and love yourselves, your fellow humans, and our planet. Be well.